just like you were like read this article we're just gonna talk about etiquette i had to like fight for my life on this episode light and breezy you were like you just discounted my entire life's work (laughs) damn you Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, Purpose and Intuition Coach. And I'm Melissa Grushka. And please remove your elbows from the table. Bean, we're going to talk some etiquette rules. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Let's do it. Hey, Beaner, What's shaking this Hi, weekend? Beanie. Hey, Beanie. Happy hey, Friday, but really. <gasps> oh, what? do you, do you know what that's from? Hey, Alistair. Name the name no. the TV show in, from the eighties. Go trivia immediately. Diving into trivia. Ah, I hate when you do this to me. Fine, um, I'll tell you. Listen. Uh, okay. I'll give you a clue. Okay. You could get okay. slimed. You got slimed on this show. <gasps> oh, it's the Nickelodeon one yes. where they um. Hey, Alistair. Wait, I think that was. And they're right. in I think like you can't they're knocking and they're next. They're next to each other. They look you at each other. You it's can't, like the Brady Bunch. You can't. Where? You can't do that oh. on television. Oh, that is the name. That's the name. <laughs> oh, wow. I sort of remember that. I don't think I fully remember that. I think I was too busy watching I Love Lucy. Oh, <laughs> in the 80s? Well, I was watching good yes, old yeah. 80s Nickelodeon lineup. You were you like a I mean? normal kid and I was yeah, like totally. an old lady in a kid's body. <laughs> now you're an old lady in a woman's body. Exactly. In oh. oh. an old lady's body. Hmm. What's shaking this week, Bean? Oh, Bean, I had an idea. Yes, please hit me with you know it. Now we do. I ask. We ask each other about our cringy moments. Then I thought, yes. why do we focus on like all the cringe because it's funny? It's but funny. like, That's why. we should also it is ask about anything that is a delight. So I'm gonna start. I love that beauty. It could be a cringe moment or a moment of delight. Okay. Yes. Wait. If you do a cringe moment, do I do a cringe moment, or we just go with whatever we're feeling? You just go. Go with, go with the feel. flow. Okay. I'll yeah. go with your flow. Yeah. You go right. first. Do you have a delight or a cringe? Well, I was going to tell you about my week, but I'm just going to tell you that that in itself was the delight. How about that? What? Um, I, I, we just did our weekly trip we do every year with my mom and sister down the shore. Mm-hmm. And it's just lovely. It's a lovely time. We've been doing it since before all of my kids were born. And then every year another kid is added and we do more things. And now my kids are getting older. So it's like a really lovely experience. No one has to go home and take a nap. We like can just sort of hang out all day. And it's just kind of a beautiful memory. And I know it matters so much to my mom and that matters to me then. Yeah. That's my humor. Thanks. That is, that is delight. What about you? Well, my moment of delight was that a little box showed up this morning. It wasn't a little box. It was a big box. And it was very officially addressed to Bean Fontanez with my address. Correct. That's how boxes arrive. Correct. So anytime anything says Bean Fontanez, then I know some excitement's in there. And I haven't opened it yet because I think it's a birthday box. Is it a birthday it box? It is a birth. It's a Bean birthday box. It's just an assortment of goodies that I found over the times that I'd like to send to you. I'm so excited and I will come back next week and say exactly what is in the bean birthday box because I know it's going to be <laughs> it's a little like, unusual <laughs> yeah maybe you shouldn't and for those who don't know Maury and I have birthdays five days apart we're birthday buddies yeah yes. we're birthday besties birthday uh, Virgos one not so happy Virgo one knew she was a Virgo her whole life why? Remember, what? I found out I was—I thought I was a Leo until I was thirty-seven. 
Why though? You are on the cusp, aren't you? Right. Aren't you I'm cusper? born on August 22nd. And when does Leo end? The 21st? 22nd at 11 a.m. or at noon. Oh. And I was born at 6.45 p.m. So I'm six hours into Vir- Virgo. I'm going to say you can claim whichever one you feel like claiming. That's what I want to say. What so Raya you know what? Says to me. Yeah. If you feel more Leo okay. and you want to go back, I permit that. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you. My other delight very quickly is just that my baby girl is starting high school and I was really expecting to be a mess. <sighs> but we I'm went to what they You're a mess for me. Yeah, I just Don't can't be. believe it. We had a bunch of back to school events. School starts next week, but they had royal return where all they they Ooh. all go back and they have like music and they go get their ID cards and their schedules and everyone's so excited. Ooh. Then we had a potluck for the families of the academy she's in. So she how got many to go families? Like hang. There's 138 kids in this academy she Dang. got into. That's a part of the public school. Um, so we had that. Then she has orientation today and they have a tailgate right after that they get to go to for free and then the first home game. And I have to say my delight has been surprisingly not feeling so sad, but like so excited for her. Like it just looks like it's going to be so much fun. Is she excited more importantly? Yeah. Very. Wait. Also, let's rewind. What did you bring to the potluck? Oh, I took – this is my cringe moment. Oh, great. <laughs> you know? Perfect. Let's wrap it all in. No, I took a great thing. I took – I made a salad because A nice. through F was salads. And oh. I – it had arugula and it had some crumbled goat cheese and wow. I sliced you shook strawberries. Your, you're shaking your – every time you name an ingredient, you shake your shoulders <laughs> to give it a little extra pizzazz because otherwise it probably sounds a little boring that you're describing your salad ingredients. Sorry. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> It's called a shimmy. <laughs> but when you and shimmy, also, it's exciting. It is. And you asked me to describe them. So No, no, I didn't. I just asked what you brought to the potluck. <laughs> like, I never asked for a full-on description. I took, I took an arugula, goat cheese, walnut, and strawberry salad. That's great. But the problem That's all you was, had to say. <laughs> we got there too late and uh, there was no room on the main table. <laughs> so we had to be in the behind area. <laughs> That's a classic bee move. Bean is not on yeah. time often. Never. Sorry. Sorry. It's true. So TJ had to eat a bunch of salad to make me feel better because <laughs> nobody could see it. Everybody was like, mmm. Everybody with you and your family was like, mmm, this salad is delightful. <laughs> Best salad here. Okay. Okay. I can't anyway. talk about salad anymore. All right. Fine. Well, let's get to business, shall we? Unless you have any more let's joyful moments. I'm very excited for your daughter. I'm very excited for Thank you to you. embark on this next generation level of life. Thank right? you. I'm yeah. going to stay in excitement. And then when I'm crying, we'll discuss I'll that. I'll cry. Okay. Because we'll when you said together. my baby girl is going to high school, I teared up a little bit because I was in the room Under. when you gave birth to her. Well, I was in the hospital when you gave birth to her and it feels like it was five minutes ago. So high school sounds That's crazy. Ugh. Ugh. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It is. Let's keep it. Let's keep it upbeat. You know what I mean? Let's keep it positive. No more salad let's talk. Keep it let's keep it positive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this episode okay. I think was born out of me reading this article from the Atlantic called "The Decline of Etiquette and the Rise of Boundaries," which I, should I just kind of go into what this article is about? You think? Please. Okay. It was basically about the decline of etiquette and the rise of boundaries. <laughs> Good summary. No, really, um, a real quick summary was the beginning of it was kind of discussing more of the etiquette of the 50s, like 
um, what children should come to the dinner table wearing and what topics were supposed to be discussed and how as time has gone on, we've evolved in some ways that are positive, but there seems to be a lot of confusion now about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And boundaries are kind of self-made. So there is no universal rule anymore about what's appropriate and what's not. And it's leading to a lot of, I think, anger and confusion among people and nobody can have proper conversations anymore. And then coincidentally, while I was reading this, I saw another article in the Atlantic called How America Got Mean. And I thought it all just tied together pretty nicely and that we should sort of talk about it. And I was really curious okay. how, where does the, how does the etiquette come to be in the first place? Even in the fifties, who decided this, who wrote these laws that your elbows can't be on the table and you can't talk about sexuality or mental illness at the table. And, and then who decided it was time to change and what the new rules were. And I just was hoping Perhaps you might have a little background over there. You, you wanted a history lesson from your Oh, I do. Do you happen bean? to know? Yes, please, nerdy I bean. happen to have. Um, I read the articles because you told me to. Um, and <laughs> Thank you. I'm the boss here. <laughs> I have my own opinion. I actually think that the etiquette article, who's that by? Uh, David Brooks. Is that right? Oh, no. I lied. The Decline of Etiquette and the Rise of Boundaries was written by no other than Sir Michael Walters. And the other one was David Brooks. Anyway. So, yeah. So I thought that the two articles were um, different and similar in lots of ways. So maybe we can talk about them. The, sure. the article on etiquette, for me, really was about um, how when there was such a code around etiquette in the 50s and 60s, um, you also knew what was appropriate to ask and right. what was appropriate to share. And now we're in a society where we're in a TMI society, according to the article, right? Where like everyone shares everything all the time. And where are the boundaries between appropriate levels of information to share and inappropriate levels? And how does it make you feel when you're getting dumped on a bunch of information about someone that like is a lot? And where did etiquette kind of help us understand when to stop talking? Yes, correct. And I, when I first think of etiquette, I think of stuffy and uptight and old-fashioned. Totally. But then as I was reading this article and it was talking about one of the quotes I really liked was that the arbiters of etiquette basically are each and every one of us. Like we are all just kind of walking around making up our own rules, which is kind yeah. of chaotic. So when I have this really negative opinion of etiquette, now I'm starting to think, there might be something to some sort of agreed upon rules, but then who sets those rules? Yeah, totally. Okay, well, let's. I mean, I can give you some etiquette history if oh, you want to yes, go why there. Don't you? And then yeah. I guess we could talk about what we think about etiquette. So, etiquette. The actual word etiquette was first used by the Earl of Chesterfield oh, in love him. the 1700s. Your favorite Earl. <laughs> love you, Earl. Um, but here's what I want to say. I mean, this is so this is why I think you and I have such negative opinions of the word etiquette, because it's so conformist. It's such a tight box. It's such a top down hierarchy of what's appropriate and what's not. And by the way, let's just say females always got the shorter end of that always. Stick, right. It was yeah. about what was appropriate as a female mostly to do and say. So I thought this was interesting. Um, our uh, producers found this letter 
from the Earl of Chesterfield, who is the first person to ever use the word etiquette in our modern English language. And here's a letter from him. I would heartily wish that you may often be seen to smile, but never heard to laugh while you live. Frequent and loud laughter is the characteristic of folly and ill manners. It is the manner in which the mob express their silly joy at silly things, and they call it being merry. In my mind, there is nothing so illiberal and so ill-read as audible laughter. I am neither of a melancholy nor a cynical disposition, and am as willing and as apt to be pleased as anybody. But I am sure that since I have had the full use of my reason, nobody has ever heard me laugh. I think you and I would be major outcasts in that <laughs> in that generation because we'd be giggling all the way, skipping and giggling. So, I mean, think about etiquette in the 1700s and think about something like this, where it's like laughter is silly and honestly, it's a – and also I think he's saying like speaks to your social class, oh, right? Like a mob ouch. of, you know – the way the mob express their joy is through laughter. So I think that etiquette in history has really been tied to social class and how to show that you are of an upper class uh, and then really differentiate differentiate yourself from a lower class person, which just in its then creation is super problematic. I kind of think that still applies today. The way you speak, the way you behave, it's all sort of is indicative of where you're from, where you came from. Class. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And actually, the word etiquette, do you want to know where the word itself, what it means? Oh, yes, I would love to. Thank you. What do you think etiquette, what language <laughs> do you think it's from? France. French. You're, you're proficient. Very good. Thank you. Oui, oui. It's all that, it's all that duolingo. <laughs> um, okay, so it comes from French, and this is what it literally means. A physical ticket that was provided to visitors of the royal court which gave them a Ooh. list of rules for appropriate behavior when a they're at court. Ticket. Kit. Ticket. Oh, wow. interesting. Light bulb. Wow. Yeah. So etiquette was a ticket they got, but it also had a list of what was appropriate behavior when Got they it. were at court, which is how you start to see it become rules of how you conduct yourself. Got it. Check. There's also then from an anthropological standpoint, there's an anthropologist, Mary Douglas, who described etiquette as a set of rituals that different societies have to maintain so that it can have social cohesion free from perceived impurities or pollutions. Etiquette is controlled by an in-group to distinguish itself from an out-group. The social cohesion is that piece that I'm kind of into, that it's... it. I guess it does separate people, but it also allows us all to be more on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, man, I think a lot. I don't even know where man, to start. Man, <laughs> let it, let those thoughts out. So here's the thing. I Let's go back to the article, right? The idea that there is a social code that we all follow that tells us what's appropriate to share or not to share. Um, and how that's declining is putting us in like an overshare moment. If you like take that thread though and you pull it all the way back to the Earl of Chesterfield in the 1700s and before that, I think the word appropriate is the problem because there has to be someone who's defining appropriate. Correct, which is my issue with all of this. Yeah, and those people are the ones in power. So that means then culturally, like I can tell you coming from an immigrant family, 
there was a lot of etiquette we didn't understand in the U.S. Like there's a lot of American etiquette that doesn't mm. match our etiquette. Interesting. Can you give me an example? I'm curious now. Um, I actually think the Persian culture is full of more etiquette. Um, and Ooh. actually, there's a good example of that. Um, we do something called taruf. You know what this is, Bean? I do not. Okay. So taruf is when someone offers you something. Let's say you're sitting at their house for a dinner party and they come around with an appetizer platter and they offer you whatever's on that platter and you want it. You're supposed to say no first. Then they ask you again. You say Always? no again. Yep. Then the third time they ask you, you can say okay. Every single person has to do this? Yes. I mean, it would take like seven hours to eat dinner. <laughs> Is that what happens? Exactly. We do a lot of it. And like, I still find myself doing it with my elder family members. That's you the other do? thing. Like, yeah, it is, it is like if you trace Tarof back, it is uh, distinguishing in hierarchy too. Like, it's supposed to show that, you know, a higher person in age or wisdom or class is offering something and the lower person has to decline out of respect for them to show their respect for them. And then, you know, finally, once they're convinced, they can say yes. So That's I guess funny. what I'm saying is it was a little reverse. I remember my mom thinking that my American friends were really rude. By being because like, sure, they, I'll eat that. Correct. I'm thinking exactly. the opposite. In Judaism, like, we just want everybody to eat all the time. So if you say no, we're going to, like, shove it down your throat because we need right. you to be eating at all times. A little nosh. Exactly. So this is where I think, uh, like, this is where this article is a little, like, uh, clearly written by, an, you know, a white person who doesn't yeah. understand that there's etiquette in different cultures. And so, like, when you live in a melting pot like the United States, there is a need for the tightness of that etiquette boundary to become looser because there's so many different cultures coexisting here and all bringing their etiquette into this country and needing to you know, be able to respect each other's culture and ways. And I think assuming that there's one standardized way means that the way that a white American person would do it is the right way. And if we're not doing it that way, then we're moving away from etiquette. That's my problem. Totally. But I I didn't even get that sense that we're doing it, that that's the right way. I kind of took from this article that what is the right way and how do we come mm -hmm. to what the right way is? And according with what you're saying, how would you then attempt to make some sort of cohesive idea of what etiquette is if there's a million different cultures here, everybody is different. How would you ever come to any type of conclusion that works for everybody? I think that that question posed in the article comes from this consistent belief that we all hold that our own sense of truth and empathy and wisdom is flawed somehow. That like somebody else from the external has to set it for us, for, for it to be um, right and for us to be in, a, in harmony with one another. And that's the disconnect for me, truly, is that we haven't been taught how much we have inside of us that allows us to know what's right. You can feel what's right. Like if you turn on your senses and someone asks you, how was your day? And you start trauma dumping on them. If you're truly connected to them, you can sense, whoa, I just went too far. I don't need a list of rules. Yeah, I, th I think that applies. But I can tell you, I have encountered many a persons in my life who 
just have no cons there. I, th I really believe that their concept of what's okay is just different than my concept of what's okay. Does it make them right or yeah. wrong or me right or wrong? TMI, yeah. like you were talking about is the exact same thing. Who are, who are you to tell them it's TMI for you, but it may not be for them. Maybe there's a whole nother level that they're not sharing with you. And this is like a surface level for them. Oh, this is such a good point. I think the point of etiquette Obviously. when you're trying to think about – yeah, good job. Um, if, if you want to think about it positively, the value of etiquette is to consider the other person in the room and not make it all about you. Correct. Right? Which I, I kind of and like what that. No? Yeah, but I'm saying we're so disconnected from one another mm -hmm. that we need other people to tell us how to consider the person in the room, which is a set of rules, rather than be in our intuitive sensing self and be like, you know what? I'm telling Melissa all this stuff and I'm noticing she's frowning and her shoulders are slumped and she seems down and her energy's different. Maybe I should reel it back in out of consideration for this other person. But reel it back in to what level? That's why I kind of now am shifting into like maybe there should be some sort of set rules. I, I feel like the fact that there aren't, I don't know if this is like jumping too far ahead and jumping to the next article, but I think the fact that there really is no longer any sort of set of ideas that we should abide by is causing people to go off the rails. People are like acting totally inappropriately. Going to the next article, actually, they, uh, the person who wrote it was saying that they spoke with someone who owns a restaurant who said he has to uh, remove a customer at least once a week now for being rude to the staff. We've seen all of this nonsense on airlines. Um, you just are seeing it. Nobody's respecting anybody's opinion, anybody's space, anybody's anything any longer. And it's not, I don't even know if it's about intuitive or not. I, I, I don't even know what I'm saying. I just feel like we're all sort of spiraling. The whole world is like, there's, it's not a coincidence that I found these articles back to back. It's because things seem so out of control right now. I don't know anybody who doesn't feel that way. Okay, wait. So let's stop there because that's a really good point. Sure. It, the two articles are super tangential, but they're also slightly different. We talked about the etiquette article. This David Brooks article, How America Got Mean, can you just give a quick summary of what he's trying to say there? What's his point of view? I think what he was speaking to was more about how there used to be more of uh, moral education in, in institutions. And that now that we don't have mm. that, we are just sort of becoming our own. We're sort of in charge of our own morals. We're all walking around individually. Here, I have a great quote that I actually from the article. It says, our society has become one in which people feel licensed to give their selfishness free reign. So everybody's just sort mm. of operating according to what they want and need because there's not enough of the moral education any longer. But I don't yeah. really know. I, I, I want that. I want there to be more. But I also kind of feel a little – that also feels a little outdated to me if you're learning like these – what is moral education? I wonder what that even looked like prior to now. Yes. Good question. Let's Thanks. get there. I actually – there are two things he said in this article that I thought was interesting to your point. He says, after decades without much in the way of moral formation, America became a place where 74 million people looked at Donald Trump's morality and saw Ugh. presidential timber. Agreed. Right? right? And I think what he's saying the problem is, which now I'm about to have a problem with, um, he says, um, groups like ones personified by Carl Rogers, a founder of humanistic psychology, focused on the problem of authority. 
The trouble with the 20th century, the members of this group argued, was that the existence of rigid power hierarchies led to oppression in many spheres of life. We need to liberate individuals from these authority structures, many contended. People are naturally good and can be trusted to do their own self-actualization. And I think David Brooks is arguing against that in this article. I think he's saying, no, actually, there does need to be moral education like there used to be back in the day because people clearly um, are demonstrating that they can't be trusted because they're you know, falling in love with things Donald Trump is saying. And there's, I think, all these statistics about, do you, I think you were telling me before we were recording, what he says has happened in this country as a result of the decline. What are they? I copied a couple things that I thought were really interesting, a couple um, statistics that were shared in that article. Oh, I actually wrote down the thing about the restaurant owner who said he has to eject a customer for rude or cruel behavior once a week, something that never used to happen. A head nurse told him that many of her staff are leaving because patients have become so abusive. Hate crimes rose in 2020 to their highest level in 12 years. Murder rates have been surging. Same with gun sales. Social trust is plummeting. In 2000, two-thirds of American households gave to charity. In 2018, fewer than half did. Isn't that really upsetting that people aren't feeling the need to give and share and, you know, give to others? I think that is pretty noteworthy. And then it said, which was sad, the words that define our age reek of menace, conspiracy, polarization, mass shootings, trauma, safe spaces. Yeah. So, all, I, of course, all of those things have happened. I just think it's a little bit more nuanced and complicated that than just moral education not existing. I mean, let me ask you a question. Where does moral education happen usually? In the home, I would like to think. Historically, it's happened in higher education institutions. Correct. After school programs, clubs, um, churches. Yep. So I think there's a danger in trusting these huge systems that benefit from conformity to teach us moral education. I mean, look at – did you hear the news today? The Boy Scouts of America – um, are going to pay $2.4 billion to sex abuse survivors. The Boy Scouts of America, which was the moral code for so, so long. long. Yes, for so long. But that's when everybody was so hush-hush about reality. Yeah, but when you have a system like that teaching morals, look at the kind of power that they hold to – Totally. I'm sorry, but groom people to teach them Priests. how to be oppressed. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, teach them how to be quiet. I don't know. I mean, I get what David Brooks is saying, which is that we're living in a time right now where he's not wrong. When he said that thing about Donald Trump, I was like, yeah, I mean, how do we get to a place where – yeah, but I think it's more nuanced than just not having a moral code being dictated from the top down. But honestly, as much as I love to talk about how much I hate Donald Trump, it's politics aside. I just read to you all of those other stats. Like, what is happening here? People are – losing any sense of any personal moral code or maybe that's what i'm curious do is everybody innately so kind and they're just not in touch with it or are there some bad seeds out there i believe that what's happening here is that this long campaign to convince us humans that we are separate because of the way that we look and because of the way that we live and because of who we are that we are separate from one another, this campaign is working. 
And we believe we are separate. We believe that someone's life is less valuable than our own. We have been filled with fear because the campaign of fear as a way to oppress is working. And people believe in the fear rather than in the connection, in the humanity, in the love. I think if we existed in a society where news wasn't just constant bad news and really showed you the tender side of humanity, if we existed in a society where capitalism wasn't teaching you that you weren't enough so you needed to buy this skin cream, but actually was incentivized to tell you how brilliant and wonderful you are to buy the skin cream, if we lived in a society where higher education didn't tell us we had to open a textbook and read words of people from 200 years ago to understand the difference between right and wrong, but that we had that wisdom within us, if all of that was cultivated in our society, then people would inherently be able to touch this goodness within them rather than the part that is fearful and sees itself as separate from the person standing next to them. I mean, I love that. I think that's a beautiful vision. I think that's all puppies and rainbows, but I, I, that's not reality right now. And now what do we do? Because look at what is happening. And to shift from where we are to a place like that, I think will either never happen or will take trillions of years to get there. And what do we do with where we are right now? What is your opinion on how? Well, I'm telling you my opinion, actually. I think it's going to take, I, I think it's going to take time, but I'm telling you that is the awakening, that that fear is not the answer, that us being taught to fear, us being taught not to check in with ourselves, like I love you, but you just called my entire method puppies and rainbows, by the way. It wasn't, it's not your entire method. It was this concept of this world. My entire method is you've been indoctrinated to believe that you are separate from the person next to you, that you are not wise, that you um, have to follow a set of rules to be valuable. I'm telling you, that's why I think all of that list of shit you read is happening. And I think the idea that it's a because we're missing a moral code that's devised by people in power right. is too simple an answer. Like if, if we think all of a sudden now Agreed. we're going to start teaching moral education again from a place of hierarchy, all we're mm -hmm. doing is hitting that point of shame each human has that we're not enough and deciding, yeah, it's true. I need someone else to tell me how to behave because I am not enough. So you, your theory then is truly that everybody on this planet – is of good moral conduct if left to, if truly, if they were able to tap into their own intuition constantly. It's not just intuition. I, I want to be clear. I'm saying we exist in a society that for hundreds of years has taught us to look at each other and our differences as disgusting and frightening. I totally agree. And I'm with saying that. that that's what it is. It's not about intuition only, it's right. about. Once we start to move towards seeing each other as part of the same membrane, right? truly part of the same connection, then it's harder to harm and create violence towards something that feels like it's a part of you. I'm saying the answer is not from the top of the mountain, some power structure telling us, here are your seven moral 100 codes. percent agree. But I do think there is some middle ground here. Like I don't believe personally that everybody on the planet can be trusted to monitor themselves well. If we lived in a society where people could truly rely on themselves to behave properly, I still believe there would be bad apples. 
Sure. Is that just a pessimistic view? Right. So how do you control these bad apples? How do we get them in line? I don't know. I mean, now we're going to get super meta because if you're going to talk about yeah. bad apples, then for me, bad is a problem. That word is a problem. What does that mean? What were they disconnected okay, from? different apples. Then it's about rehabilitation. It's not about putting them in a category of bad and deciding they're disposable, but it's about, okay, where did the disconnect happen in you from yourself and from others and from love and how do we rehabilitate you towards that place right. uh, and then it reintegrate you into society? But I don't think this is about just bad apples. I think this is about, this article is about uh, a lot of people living in their own quote unquote truth and right? Like I think this 100%. is him saying people are selfish. This was like a tangent, me going off with my yeah. bad apples and going off of you saying if we could all, you know, be able to self-monitor in an appropriate way. That's where I was going off of that and thinking like, I still believe there would be trouble. I don't know what the right answer is. I just know that right now feels extremely uneasy everywhere. So I totally agree that capitalism is telling you all of these things about you'll be better if you do this. And that's been going on since basically for as long as capitalism has existed. Like in the 50s, they're telling you that all these ads, it'll make you prettier and skinnier and all of these things if you buy. So that's been going on. Right. But there was more etiquette in the 50s. And there was more of a agreed upon moral code. So why do you right. think now I I'd, I'd say like the past 10 years, even maybe? Yeah. Why now? Why have things deteriorated at such a rapid rate? Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, I like there's two answers that come to mind. One is that um, we live in a world that has access to more. It's true. And if you want to hate, then you're going to find a group of people that are going to like really help you hate another group of people online. We have access to weapons in a way we never had before. We have access to all kinds of things that um, I think take this seedling of shame that we all hold and allow us to like... <laughs> turn it into hatred and anger towards other people and like find groups that agree with us and validate the hatred. There's this article, this is the second thought, um, that was in our notes that the producers put together that just came to mind too. Um, it's this article studied, um, published in this magazine, I think, called Nature. And it, I loved this because I say this all the time. Um, basically, it talks about how people from every era have claimed that their collective morality is declining because of the era coming up, the generation coming up behind them. Oh my God, I totally So agree. like, right? Like nope, think about so how the silent generation in the 60s and 70s was like, these boomers are doing the most out on the streets, protesting totally. Vietnam. Like Long we're supposed hair. to follow what our, yeah, but like we're supposed to follow what our government says. Our government right. knows best. How dare you be out, right? So think about that. Then the totally. boomers and the way they felt about Gen X and then the way Gen X talks about, used to talk when I was in the working world in the beginning, like the way they would talk about millennials, which we fall into, was that we were so entitled and we spoke up too much. And then now think about how people talk about Gen Z. So there is this like, this idea that everything's falling apart because of the generation coming up that I think just keeps repeating itself. Which I do agree, but it does feel particularly heavy now. And I did just think of something when I was saying the thing about 10 years, plus it was, I didn't just come up with this, it was referenced in the article, but it's not a coincidence in my opinion that as much as it can be beneficial, social media, which has really risen tremendously, I mean, exponentially in the last 10 years, has given 
a bunch of people platforms and has spread yeah. information like wildfire and a lot of hateful, negative, scary information that we didn't have even, I mean, you and I are pretty new to social media. We didn't really grow up with social media. So that is yeah. why I think that the generation below us who only lives in that type of world, I, I don't want to say it because it's our children, but I worry. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the way that then those who want to take advantage can use social right. media and the algorithms of social media to then just keep showing hateful messages more and more to a group. That I mean, there was that whole thing that came out about the Russians and the way they were using Facebook right. to mess with our elections, which is news, not conspiracy theory, that way they were finding, just to be clear, uh, finding ways to, in the algorithm, like find a group of people that might have an interest in this or that, and then continuously show them all of this hateful, nasty stuff about people of color, about gay and lesbian, LGBTQIA, about all of this stuff, like really drum up this separation and hatred by using data and algorithms to do that. So and, and the algorithms that's why we're themselves we're are silencing voices that need to be heard. Right. Exactly. So that's the answer. That's why <laughs> that's we're here that's now. What, that's what social you media. Said. I was like, yeah. and then the algorithms. <laughs> we're like, yeah, I just said that. Um, okay. So then where I guess where do we go from here? How how can we uh, even as individuals do what's best for us. I want some, I want some very pretty happy medium for us. Like I want people to be able to do some level of self-monitoring and do what works for them and set these healthy boundaries. But I want it to be done without harming others. Is there a way that we can both be ourselves mm -hmm. and bring ourselves to the table all of the time and not be rude and kill people and offend people? And I, I would like to get back to a little more open-mindedness in life even for myself yes. personally. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, I think first of all, I just want to say the idea that the 50s and 60s <laughs> wasn't full of violence is No, no, no not full silly. of violence. But okay. even I'm good. Don't make me reference those stats again, man. You you hear what's up I here. know, but you I also think what's less. missing in there is like um the kind of violence that happens when you have a society that's segregated, the kind of violence that happens True. when you can't drink out of a water fountain because of the color of your skin, Agreed. the kind of violence that happens when you have to go to a separate school on the yes. other side of the – so anyway, that aside. I'm not um, saying to answer your puppies and rainbows back then either. I'm just saying. <laughs> back to the controversial <laughs> puppies and rainbows. This is – the puppies and rainbows going to end our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to love puppies and rainbows for the record. Okay, good. Um but besides that, I just I did need to say that because I don't want to make I don't want to make it sound like there's some picture no, being painted that no, there was no, like no, a no. utopian society because that's exactly what oppressive people want you to think. No, no, um, no. I'm just saying yeah. things seem extra dirty right now. Yeah, like I like my martinis. Oh, okay. I think <laughs> there is. I'm, listen, I'm I think this. <laughs> I think this idea that um, you can't have both is a scarcity mindset we've been trained that we have to pick from. Like, I think we've been trained to believe either I succeed or someone else succeeds. That's actually part of a system that wants you to not be in touch with your truth and your purpose so you can work for it. So one, I think just rejecting that it has to be an or and deciding that it can be an and opens up a whole new conversation, which is how do I be in my truth? And this is what you asked. Yes. With my boundaries and be 
um, open to and accepting and loving and mindful of other people. Yes. And I think that it is about balancing um, the way we feel about ourselves Mm. and keeping that work Mm. to ourselves. That is a within process, right? Like the shame I feel when someone shows up and has something I wanted and worked for. The anger I feel towards someone because they're getting an opportunity I didn't get. That's inner work. Yes. That's inner work. So not projecting that externally, but spending the time to do the inner work to get our own needs met, heal our own traumas and limiting beliefs makes us more open to others because we don't take them so personally. I think people want to talk about self-awareness and boundaries, but not do the damn work. They still want to project externally. But I think if you take the time and take all that energy that you project outward and put it inward and do the work on self, you will naturally be more open to others because you will understand the thing I say all the time, which is that someone else's behavior, ideas, trauma response is never, ever, ever about you. And when you can interact with someone and understand that, all of a sudden you're open to them in a different way instead of being defensive and trying to insert yourself in their story. And take it personally, which is also something you just said. (laughs) So I hope you have room on your wait list for 7 billion people so we can turn this world around and get back to who we're all meant to be. I'm exhausted now. (laughs) That was a lot, Bean. You said this was going to be a... Just like you were like, read this article. We're just going to talk about etiquette. I had to like fight for my life on this episode. Light and breezy. You were like, you just discounted my entire life's work. (laughs) Damn you. You were like, everything you said is puppies and rainbows. This is our second fight on the podcast. This is the most. Tune in next week for our third fight. No, I love you. I love your work. Come on. You know this, girl. You know I am your your number one supporter. Absolutely. I think you're the bestest. The bee's knees. The bees knees. All right. Well, do you have your beans famous takeaways or are we good? We're tired. I'm a little exhausted and I might have one of those extra dirty martinis I was just referring to. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, Bean, I'm really glad you raised this. I think it was a really important conversation. Um, Thank you. So yeah, good Thanks stuff. For your take. Thanks for your hot take. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadev, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.